السلام عليكم خدمي اي سانشك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to this week's class and lesson for uh, QP and inshallah ta'ala today we are going to start with the tafsir of, of Surah Al-Alaq but before we do so let's quickly uh, recap what we did last week where we completed the tafsir of Surah Al-Qadr and Surah Al-Qadr is one of those surahs that speaks about uh, as we know the the importance, the virtues, uh, the special status of Laylatul Qadr in our religion and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose it as the time to uh, to reveal the Qur'an. Uh, Imam Al-Siyuti rahimahullah ta'ala has a book uh, which I believe has now been translated into English. There may be even more than one translation, I'm not sure, but, but there is an English translation available. It's called Tartib Asrarul Qur'an, uh, which translates to the uh, the, the secrets or the wisdoms behind the ordering of the surahs of the Qur'an. And that's like one of those uh, subjects and topics that some of the scholars have written about concerning the uh, what we call, you know, like contemplations over Tanasub uh, al-Qur'an, right? What is the relevance of the different surahs in the form, in, in the ordering that they are in? So how does Surah Fatiha relate to Surah Baqarah, Surah Baqarah to Ali Imran, Ali Imran to An-Nisa? all the way up to the end of the Qur'an. And other scholars went a step further with not just ordering or looking at the, the relevance of the ordering of the surahs, but also within a single surah, especially the longer surahs where there are multiple subjects and multiple themes and topics that are discussed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how do they connect with one another? Especially when, for example, in certain instances, especially in the very long surahs of the Qur'an, you have what seems to be sometimes a jumping between topics that, Sometimes for us it's difficult to understand the connection between them. Why does Allah Azza wa for example, mention Tawheed and then he goes on to marriage and then he comes back to Salah and then he mentions the story of a prophet and then he goes on to mar- or divorce. Or why are these topics that seemingly seem to be random, how are they connected with one another? And that is called Ilmul Munasabat, right? the science of interrelation of how things are connected and interrelated to one another. The point of this being that uh, Asiyuti has this book which is a nice book. Uh, as I've mentioned before, these uh, sciences are not based upon or there is no hard and fast principles for them because the Prophet ﷺ never told us the asrar and the secrets or the wisdoms or the relationships behind the particular ordering of surahs or verses or whatever. Sometimes it is easier to know, sometimes it is easier to make those connections because of a hadith that are mentioned or because of, of certain things which are more obvious. At other times it is more difficult to know. Uh, because of that as well and then this obviously relates to as it relates to surahs the issue that we've covered before and uh, or touched upon at least before and that is whether the ordering of the surahs of the quran the compilation of those of the quran and its ordering of the surahs whether that was something which the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam dictated during his lifetime or whether it was something which the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'in made ijtihad of when they came to compiling the mushaf so was it the Prophet ﷺ who said we start with Fatiha and then Baqarah then Ali Imran and so on, which is the position of a number of scholars? Or was it the companions who decided upon that ordering as was the position of other scholars amongst the Muslims? And Allah Azza wa knows best. The point is here that, that I was uh, mentioning was Imam al-Siyuti rahimahullah when he speaks about the relationship between these three surahs that we, that inshallah the one that we're going to be begin, begin today 
and the two that we've done previously, Suratul Alaq, then Suratul Qadr, and Suratul Bayyina. He mentions that the connection between them is how Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala in this surah speaks about uh, in Suratul Alaq, the one that we're going to begin with today, will speak about knowledge, right? With the term Iqra, read, seek knowledge, and how then Allah Azza wa Jalla in the next surah tells us what type of knowledge to to seek, and the greatest of that knowledge is the knowledge of the Quran, the one that was revealed, or the knowledge that was revealed on Laylatul Qadr, which is the knowledge of the Quran. And that knowledge then is connected to Suratul Bayyina because it gives you Bayyina, it gives you guidance, it gives you clarification, it tells you or it gives you what you need to know in order to worship Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jal said that the Mushrikeen, the disbelievers will not believe until that Bayyina came to them in the form of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the recitation of the Quran, the revelation of the Quran. So that's something which, you know, which shows you, uh, and this is something which some of the scholars did uh, when they spoke about the relationship between certain surahs. But no doubt there is a connection between these surahs because their theme is similar. All three of these surahs, uh, Surah Al-Alaq, Surah Qadr, Surah Bayyina, speak about something which is, which is very uh, close. Another one that you will find, some of the, one of the connections that were made between Surah Alaq and Surah Qadr is between the last verse of Surah Al-Alaq. But Allah Azza wa Jal, as we will come on, inshallah to study, Allah says, Allah gives the command to prostrate, and Allah Azza wa gives the command to seek nearness to Him through worship. And then Allah Azza wa tells us the best time to seek that nearness, because throughout the year there is no greater time to seek that nearness in terms of sajda and making worship of Allah Azza wa in salah than the ibadah that a person does on Laylatul Qadr. Right? And I've also come across some scholars. Uh, who have made that connection as a connection between the relevance of, of those between those two surahs. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Let us um, recap then uh, what we did last week very briefly. Uh, in verse number three we said, Laylatul Qadri khayrun min alfi shahar. Right? Laylatul Qadri khayrun min alfi shahar. And we mentioned that Allah Azza wa when he speaks about the night of Laylatul Qadr being better than a thousand months, that there were some differences or some different statements amongst the scholars as to what that's referring to. Can anyone remind me please as to one of them or some of them or all of them? What did they say concerning Laylatul Qadri Khayrun Min Alfi Shahar? And whilst you're doing that Solange very uh, kindly has reminded me to remind you all of the quizzes that are on the Telegram group. So for those of you that are on our Telegram group that inshallah ta'ala I hope that you're all uh, that you've all kind of clicked onto and, and you're part of that group. One of the things that our team members are doing is that they're posting quiz questions every so often. Um, and, and you can join through the link there that you'll see now on the portal. Uh, you can There's quiz questions that you can answer, inshallah, just so that it's something which will help you to revise the knowledge that we're seeking. Uh, and it's a good form of, of you know helping you to revise that knowledge and to embed that knowledge as well. Jazakumullah khairan. So what did we say? So I'll give you one. For Laylatul Qadr khayrun min alfi shahar. Some of the scholars said that it means that it is better than a thousand months in which there is no Laylatul Qadr. That it is better than a thousand months in which there is no Laylatul Qadr. Right, that was one uh, That was one uh, view. Can someone else tell me? Yes, so another one was that it is the actions of that night that are better. So the actions of the night being the fasting or the or the prayer and the dua and the recitation of the Quran and so on and so forth. Um, another one, Sumaira as she mentions, is uh, the comparison between the Ubad, the worshippers of Banu Israel, 
and that a person from amongst Bani Israel was not considered to be an abid, a worshipper, a person who committed themselves to the servitude of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until they had worshipped for a period of 83 years plus or a thousand months. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it from the blessings of this ummah that they would achieve that status and that reward within a single night of worship. And from them, that is also mentioned is how the Prophet sallallahu wasallam saw that his ummah would have a shorter age span, a lifespan that is shorter than the previous nations. So they wouldn't be able to achieve in terms of longevity of worship and the time that they would be afforded to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the same as nations that preceded them. And so Allah Azza wa gave to him Laylatul Qadr so that they would be able to achieve that same status of worship and that reward. And therefore you see from even even though these uh, narrations, there is no authentic narration to support these final two positions of Banu Israel or that it's to do with the age span or the lifespan of this ummah. But even so, uh, clearly you see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by giving us something like Laylatul Qadr with the reward that is included within it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favors this ummah. And it is from the blessings that Allah Azzawajal has given to this ummah that makes this ummah from the best of all nations, the best of all nations that have preceded it as well. Okay, Allah Azzawajal then in in um, in Surat uh, in Surat Al Qadr the next verse Allah says تَنَزَّرُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ وَالْرُوحِ تَنَزَّرُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ وَالْرُوحِ the angels descend and the ruh descends, and we mention a number of opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir as to what the term ruh or the spirit here refers to right can anyone tell me what, what what we mentioned last week in terms of what is the opinion of the majority of the scholars of tafsir and then what were the other opinions that were mentioned by imam al-qurtubi rahimahullah as well as others in their tafsir as to what is being referred to in a ruh and remember we said that this also connects to verse number one inna anzalna hu the it and indeed we revealed it on Laylatul Qadr. Some of the scholars said the it is the Qur'an and that is the opinion of the majority. And others said that it's referring to Jibreel alayhi salam. Right? And so if it is Jibreel, then the ruh in verse number 3 is not Jibreel. But if it is the Qur'an, then perhaps it is Jibreel or it is Jibreel alayhi salam. Right? So the first position therefore is that it is Jibreel alayhi salam. And the mentioning of Jibreel after the general mentioning of the uh, of the malaika of the angels is min bab atful al-am it is by mentioning something which is specific even though the general genre or term encompassing it has already been mentioned and that is to specify and to show favor and to show importance to what Allah Azza has picked out from that right and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, Allah Azza wa will mention that and we will have a similar example of this in suratul in Surah Al-Alaq, right, when Allah Azza wa Jal says, اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقْ right, And that is an example of this also that inshallah we will come on to with Allah Ta'ala. So uh, the first opinion therefore, the first position is that it is Jibreel alayhi salam that is being referred to. تَنَزَّرُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ وَالْرُوحِ The angels descend and Jibreel alayhi salam descends as well. What else do we have? Sumira, Jazakallah uh, khair. A certain group of angels, right? So some of them said it is a group of angels, right? And some of them said that it is not just angels, but it is the angels that are protectors of the angels, right? It is a creation that Allah Azza wa Jal has made just as the angels protect the humans, the hafadah 
over the humans, they preserve them, they are guardians for them. Then others said that it refers to a, a, a creation of angels that Allah has placed over the angels as their guardians. Right? An army from the armies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the creation from the creations of Allah. These are all opinions. And one of them also uh, is that it is referring to the mercy that Allah and the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes to descend with the angels. So the Tanazzarul Malaika, the angels descend. While Ruh, Ruh is the mercy of Allah, His blessings that descend alongside the angels on that night. Sakallah khair, Shakila. So that's um, that's what we have in terms of those views. But the opinion of the majority and what, what seems to be the strongest of those opinions and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best is that it's referring to Jibreel alayhi salam. And no doubt when Jibreel and the angels descend, they descend with Allah's mercy and with his blessings, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and then Allah Azza wa says, Salamun, in the final verse of Surah Al-Qadr, Salamun, hiya hatta matla'il fajr. Salam, right, peace. And we said that there was a difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to what it referred to. What is the peace that is being referred to? Can anyone remind me? What is the peace that is being referred to? So the first position was that it's referring to, and while you're doing that, let me take this question. Uh, Rashid is asking, I have a question related to a comment that you made last week. Not the tafsir, sorry. You mentioned that you took classes with Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqit al-Madina. Hafizahullah ta'ala. How can someone study with him? Does he have any online classes by any chance? I've only found recorded videos. Uh, I don't know that he has any online classes. Allahu alam. I don't know. Maybe he has. I don't know. Uh, but his online classes will not be like this, like a Zoom setup or or a portal setup, it will be, if he does something, it will be a live stream that he's doing in a masjid. And clearly at the moment, because of COVID and so on, I doubt he's doing much anyway, uh, because of the situation even in Saudi Arabia. But usually, it would, if he was, if he has something live, and I, I have heard of, of stuff that is live of his, but it's normally a, a stream from a lecture that he's doing. So it's not something which he specifically does for an online audience, but it's something which is streamed from his regular classes. And the Sheikh teaches in Jeddah, he teaches in Medina, where he lives, and he teaches in Riyadh as well. Um, and the Sheikh, for the past few years, because he's been appointed to the uh, to the Council of Senior Scholars of Saudi Arabia, it is very, uh, I think it is, it is his lectures are not as regular or as consistent as they used to be. So when I was a student in Medina, he would teach once a week the haram, uh, at least, right? That would be his norm. And then in holidays and in other times, he would do like intensive sessions where he would, you know, sometimes start after Fajr, sometimes start after Asr and go until Isha. So he would be uh, more intense. Uh, from what I know now, he's, he, he does, like he's, he does, even in Medina, it's like once a month in Riyadh, I think it's probably slightly more regular. His Jeddah one has been, as, and in Mecca he used to teach as well. Uh, they were more regular. So the Sheikh in, in, he's, has, is teaching Jamia Tirmidhi. Uh, he's teaching books in fiqh like Umdat al-Hakam. Uh, and he's teaching other stuff as well. Um, but I don't think he does anything specifically online. The Sheikh also has his, his personal view is that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't hold the permissibility of photography and videography. So that's why you really will find, even though there are photos of him available online and, and even a video or two, but it's very rare, you won't find many of them. And that's because the Sheikh himself doesn't approve of his photo being taken and doesn't approve of videos being taken of him. That's why most of what you will hear and come across of his even on YouTube will be audio and it won't be video. And so that's maybe perhaps another reason why he doesn't do particularly online classes. 
But even what he has done previously, you know, that shouldn't stop you. What he has is he has a treasure trove of knowledge in terms of his fiqh and even his, his explanation of Jamia Tirmidhi, uh, which he studied with his father. Uh, and Jamia Tirmidhi is an amazing book of hadith. In fact, some of the scholars are of the opinion that from the sixth collection of hadith, it is the easiest to study, meaning it's the one that a beginner student should start with. And that's because Imam Tirmidhi has an amazing way. He's one of those scholars, especially from the six, who not only focused on collecting a hadith, but he also focused on the opinions of the imma, and especially the imams of, of the hadith, al hadith, right? The imams of Ahlul Hadith, and and that's something which is different to the four madhabs. The imams of hadith are people like uh, Abdullah ibn Mubarak and, and Ishaq ibn Rahawi and Sufyan al-Thawri and these scholars, and they include Bukhari as well and others, Imam Ahmad and others. These are the people of what we call Ahlul Hadith or Imma Al-Hadith. And, and he, uh, Imam Al-Tirmidhi, is someone who has focused on that. And that's not something which you will find in many places. So you will find uh, that it's something which, which is an amazing book to study. So what he has is something which I would, uh, I would highly recommend if you can follow. And obviously it's in Arabic, but if you can follow it and you have the ability to understand it, it's something which I would definitely recommend. So going back to Salamun Hiya Hatta Matla' Al-Fajr, Maryam says peace from every harm and evil, right? And that was one position that the salam, the peace, refers to that there is no harm or evil that occurs on that night. And others from amongst the scholars said that it refers to the angels passing their salams. Right? As Sumira says, it is the angels that come and they give their salams. Right? And it's possible to join between the two because the angels give their salams to the worshippers and those worshippers, because they are engaged in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, therefore they are prevented from doing harm and from doing sin on that night. Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay, so that's our uh, recap from last week. So inshallah ta'ala this week we're beginning with the tafsir of Suratul Qadr, uh, Suratul Alaq, afwan, Suratul Alaq. And as we usually do with our tafsir, we begin with an introduction, and that introduction begins with the names that the surah is known by. And there are a number of names, I have for you six here, and Ibn Ashur mentions a seventh and possibly an eighth as well. But they are not like uh, very prominent names of those surahs. So I have, I have uh, sufficed with the six that I have collected for you here. The first of them is the name that we are very familiar with and the name by which the surah is now known commonly and that is Suratul Alaq, Surat Al Alaq. And this is mentioned even as far back as Ibn Abi Hatim. Right? Even, uh, oh yes, very good, uh, Sumaira, sorry. We were discussing the different ways of reciting Matla' al-Fajr with the Fatha or Kasra. Was that a question, Sumira? Did I ask that as a question or was that just uh, something which we which we mentioned? Was that a research question from last week? I don't remember now. Was it anyone that asked anything that I asked you to look into? Okay, let's do the research question. So what was the question? Was it about... Uh, I don't. Was it about the Matla al Fajr? Or was it something else? One second. Someone remind me what the question was, please, and then we'll look into that. So in terms of the Matla al-Fajr, um, we discussed that. I, I don't know if that was the question, but anyway, uh, that the majority of the Qurra read it with, with the Fatha, Matla al-Fajr, right? And Matla with the Kasra, 
in the kasra referring to the recitation of Imam al-Kisa'i. So what is the difference in meaning between the two readings of matla' and matli'? Right. Did anyone come back with that? Matla' and matli'? And what is the difference between the two? So what is the difference between matla' and matli'? So as we're waiting for like uh, people to answer that, let's continue with Surah Al-Anaq so we're not just uh, spending time waiting for answers. Uh, so Surah Al-Alaq, right, as we said, that's the uh, first name by which this Surah is known. And it is mentioned even as early as some of the earliest tafsir, like the tafsir of Ibn Abi Hatim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Ibn Atiyah, mentions it also in his tafsir, Ibn Al-Jawzi, Al-Tha'labi, Al-Shawkani, and others. Refer to this Surah as Surah Al-Alaq. Referring to Surah Al-Alaq. Uh, the second, but we'll come back to the research question, inshallah. Just keep posting your answers, and then inshallah we'll come back to it uh, later on, inshallah. The second name by which this surah is known is Surah Iqra Bismilladhi Khalaq. Surah Iqra Bismilladhi Khalaq. Right, and with that the Rabb, therefore. And this is mentioned by Ibn Mubarak in his in his tafsir. Abdullah ibn Mubarak, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of, of tafsir. Uh, and the famous scholar of hadith as well, from the scholars of Khurasan. Uh, if someone is interested in, in, in reading about Abdullah bin Mubarak, uh, he's, um, he's not only an illustrious scholar of hadith and an amazing imam from the imams of knowledge, uh, but what's something very interesting is if you go back to Imam al-Dhahabi in his seer, Alam al-Nubala, which is his encyclopedia of biographies of the scholars and others uh, from, from throughout the history of, of Islam, his commentary on Ibn Mubarak, his statements, his, his words concerning him, uh, his praise of him, is something unique in Siyah. The way he describes him and the way that he praises him is something which you don't find throughout the rest of Siyah or, or the vast majority of it anyway. Even though there are scholars who were older and more senior and, and had come before Ibn Mubarak. Ibn Mubarak is not from the Tabi'een. Uh, there are scholars who, who, came, who came before him. But his wording concerning Ibn Mubarak and his praise of him is something very interesting. So if someone uh, someone wants to look into that, uh, just as, as, as just not a research question, but just if, as a benefit that you can put onto the group, it is very nice. So if someone speaks Arabic and then maybe you can translate it as well, that's something which is very nice. Ibn Mubarak is Imam al-Dhahabi in siyar If you go to the to his biography of Abdullah ibn Mubarak, rahimahullah ta'ala. So anyway, that's uh, the second name, Iqra' bismilladhi khalaq. The third name by which this surah is known is the first verse. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. So it is referred to as surah. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. And this is mentioned by Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, in his sahih. This is how he refers to it. Imam Hakim in his Mustadraq, also a collection of hadith. And Imam al-Suyuti as well refers to it uh, on occasion by this name, which is the complete first verse of the surah. So we have three names so far, Surah Al-Alaq, which is the name by which we know it. We said Ibn Abi Hatim, Ibn Atiyah, Ibn Jawzi, Shokani, amongst others, use this name. Then we have Iqra' Bismilladhi Khalaq, which is Ibn Mubarak, where he chooses to, to name it by. And I don't know why he misses that the Rabb is that a different Qira'at that they had at that time because he lived at a time before the Qira'at, the Mutawatir Qira'at have been uh, codified. Or if it's something which is a typo in his tafsir, or if it's something else, Allahu Alam, I don't know. 
uh, the third name is the first verse of the surah and that's the one mentioned by Imam al-Bukhari in al-Sahih and al-Hakim and is Mustadrak in al-Suyuti amongst others. The fourth name is Iqra' bismi rabbik. Iqra' bismi rabbik. Right, which is just the first three words of the first verse. Iqra' bismi rabbik. And this is mentioned by al-Farra' and uh, Imam Abdul Razzaq al-Sanani Rahimahullah in his tafsir also from the early scholars, from the teachers of Imam Ahmad and others. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, the famous scholar of tafsir, someone that we're very familiar with. And Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi in his jami'ah. Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, in his jami'ah. Ibn Ashur says, uh, because Ibn Ashur, one of the, the, the nice things, I believe I've probably mentioned this before, but in his tafsir, he often goes through the different names by which a surah is known. And that's something nice which he does in tafsir, which you not always find in many works of tafsir. He said that this surah, Surah Al-Alaq, was famously known in the time of the companions and the tabi'een by the name Iqra' Bismi Rabbik. Right? That's what it was known by. And that's what Imam Al-Hakim uh, mentions in his Mustadrak as a narration of Aisha radiallahu anha when she says that the first surah to be revealed from the Quran was surah Iqra' Bismi Rabbik. So he uses this Ibn Ashur to show that this was the name that it was prevalently known by in the time of the companions and the tabi'een. And he said, now this is what you will find also as being, being named by other scholars from that generation or from those two generations such as Mujahid and Imam al-Zuhri and Abu Salama ibn Abdul Rahman. And that is what Imam al-Tirmidhi in his jami' when he spoke about this surah, he called it surah Iqra' bismi Rabbik. Right? So that is the fourth name, surah Iqra' bismi Rabbik. The fifth name that it is known by is surah Iqra' just with the first word of the first verse, surah to Iqra'. And this is mentioned by Imam Al-Tabari, also in his tafsir, as we mentioned before, sometimes what the scholars of tafsir do is at the beginning of the surah, they will say, this is the tafsir of surah, Iqra' bismi rabbik. And then at the end of the surah, they will say, we have finished or completed or concluded the tafsir of surah, Iqra'. And they mention it by two names. It shows you, therefore, that it was known by more than one name at one time. You know, the scholars were aware of multiple names for a single surah. So Imam Al-Tabari, calls it Iqra' bismi rabbik and he calls it Surah Iqra' as well. And that is also the name that was uh, used by Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir, Suratu Iqra' Suratu Iqra'. So that's the fifth name. The sixth name that it is known by is Suratul Qalam. Suratul Qalam. Now today we know Suratul Qalam as a different surah. Can someone tell me which surah we now know as Suratul Qalam? Surah Al-Qalam, which surah do we call Surah Al-Qalam now in our time? Sumaira, very good. So Surah Noon, right? Surah Noon is Surah Al-Qalam. So in the 29th Juz, the second surah, we call Surah Al-Qalam. Noon wal-Qalami wa ma yasturun. But it shows you therefore that in the time of, of the early scholars, that, a, that these names were fluid, that a, a name such as Surah Al-Qalam was, was being used to refer to more than one surah. And so therefore sometimes, you know, sometimes they would say Noon Wal-Qalam to differentiate it from Al-Qalam which may be Surah Al-Alaq, right? And so in that time, there is a difference and that's why it is important, especially when you go through those early works, to understand those differences because if a scholar is speaking about Surah Al-Qalam, what is he referring to? Is he referring to Surah Noon was he referring to Surah Iqra? So from the scholars who, who mentioned the name Surah Al-Qalam, 
is Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn Hazm, as you know, is the famous scholar of the Zahiri Madhab from the great scholars of Islam. Uh, and he has a book on Al-Nasikh and Mansukh, the abrogations of the Qur'an and so on. So he calls it Surah Al-Qalam. Ibn Atiyah also refers to it as Surah Al-Qalam. He also refers to it as Surah Al-Alaq. So he uses, he mentions both names. And Abu Bakr Ibn Al-Arabi, rahimahullah ta'ala, also Ibn Al-Arabi in his famous work of, of Ahkam Al-Qur'an, also refers to it as Surah Al-Qalam. Right? Surah Al-Qalam. Ibn Ashur says, obviously, it is also the name Qalam, which means pen, is also a name for Surah Noon, as we now know. So now, in our time, when we say Surah Qalam, we're referring to Surah Noon. But in some of the early works of Tafsir and Quranic sciences and so on, Surah Al-Qalam could also be used to refer to Surah Al-Alaq. Right? Surah Al-Iqra' Bismi Rabbika Alladhi Khalaq. And so we have, therefore, in conclusion, six names that we can find within the early works of Tafsir and Quranic sciences and Hadith. We have Surah Al-Alaq, the name by which we know it now, Surah Iqra' Bismillahi Khalaq, which we said was the one chosen by Abdullah ibn Mubarak, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. We have Surah Iqra' Bismi Rabbika Alladhi Khalaq, which is the complete first verse as mentioned by Imam al-Bukhari and Hakim and others. We have Surah Iqra' Bismi Rabbik, as mentioned by Tirmidhi and others and Al-Tabari, and that's the one uh, that Ibn Ashur said was, was most prevalent amongst the companions and the Tabi'een. And then you have Surah Iqra' also mentioned by Ibn Kathir and Al-Tabari also, and then finally Surah Al-Qalam mentioned by Ibn Hazm amongst others. Those are the six names by which this Surah is known. This Surah, in terms of its revelation, in terms of its place of revelation or time frame of revelation, rather is it a Makki or a Madani Surah, then uh, I think it is not surprising to know that the scholars have said that it is a Makki Surah, right? not least because of the number of hadith and narrations that we have confirming its place of revelation and time of revelation being Mecca in the early Meccan period and being from the earliest, if not the earliest, revelation of the Qur'an. From amongst those scholars who mention this, therefore, in their tafsir uh, is Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah, and Al-Tha'labi, and Al-Baghawi, and Al-Suyuti. And some of them even went to the extent of saying that there is ijma', there is consensus upon this. And as far as I know, there is consensus. And Allah Azza wa knows best. But Ibn Atiyah, says here Makkiyatun bil ijma' by ijma' it is a Makki surah Ibn al-Jawzi says the same Imam al-Shawkani says here Makkiyatun bila khilaf there is no difference of opinion that it is a Makki surah and Ibn Ashur said the same thing wahiya Makkiyatun bil tifaq it is by agreement a Makki surah right it is by agreement a Makki surah and that goes back to really its uh, story of revelation that we are very familiar with because it is the story by which our religion begins. Right? Our religion begins with the revelation of the Qur'an because that signals the prophethood of our Prophet wasallam, and that prophethood is signaled by the first revelation of the Qur'an which is this surah, Surah Al-Alaq, right? Surah Al-Iqra. And what seems apparent, and Allah Azza wa knows best as we will see in this in this narration that I will, I will mention to you now, which is in Sahih Al-Bukhari, the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha, it seems that the revelation of this surah in that first instance in the cave of Hira is limited to the first five verses. Right? That's what seems to be apparent in the narrations of hadith. So it's not all of Surah Al-Alaq which was revealed because that is a common uh, mistake or misunderstanding that some people have. That it's all of Surah Al-Alaq that was revealed in the cave of Hira. No, it was the first five verses according to uh, the majority of the scholars. And so Allah Azza wa Jal says, اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم 
الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم right up to there that is the five verses that were revealed in that first instance of revelation and then the remainder of the surah is revealed later on the narration in Sahih al-Bukhari uh, is the narration of Aisha radiyallahu anha and Aisha radiyallahu anha says and she's she's mentioning the beginning of the revelation of the Quran she says that the first that the Prophet وسلم, revealed in terms of signs of prophethood before the revelation of the Quran is that he would see truthful dreams, true dreams in his sleep. And we know, uh, and I will comment every so often on this narration, it's a slightly long narration, but we know from the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, that from the methods by which Allah gives revelation is true dreams, dreams that come true. Now for the prophets, their dreams are revelation. For the believers, those dreams that come true are good news. As the Prophet told us وسلم, that it is something which will remain, that believers will see good dreams that then come true. That is a bushra, a glad tiding and good news for them. It is not used in terms of legislation. So if I see a dream or you see a dream and it's a good dream and then we all, all of a sudden start basing our religion upon it or start taking action based upon it or thinking that it's something which necessitates a certain course of action or a certain decision that's not necessarily how our religion works but it is a sign it is a good sign for a believer and it's something which gives a person glad tidings if it is a good dream so uh, and that, uh, for the prophets however it is revelation for the prophets it is revelation as we see for example in the Quran in, in the story of Ibrahim when he says to Ismail I saw in a dream that I should slaughter you, sacrifice you. And so that is revelation for the prophets of Allah And from the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah uh, is that the Prophet told us that from the signs that will remain is that a believer will see a good dream. And the most truthful of them in dreams, he said وسلم, are those who are most truthful in speech. So those who are most honest in speech will see, will become the most truthful in the dreams that they see. Anyway, Aisha, radiyallahu anhu says going back to this notion of al-Bukhari that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would see these truthful dreams and so he would not see something except that it came clear to him as if it was the sunrise and then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam began to love seclusion that he should be secluded away from the people and we know that even before this incident the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam never partook never participated in the shirk of Quraysh and that is one of the ways that Allah preserves His Prophets He preserves them from shirk and those practices of kufr even before they accept prophethood. And they are preserved in terms of their honor and their chastity and their, and their character so that when they come with the message of Allah, people believe in them and know their truthfulness and know their honor and know their integrity rather than there are people who are sinning and, and womanizing or maybe drinking and stealing and murdering and then all of a sudden they claim to be a prophet of Allah and so Allah preserves them from this so the Prophet loved to be secluded and so he would go to the cave of Hira the cave of Hira and he would um, and I read recently a, a, a paper that said that Hira is the name of the mountain, not of the cave. And the name that we have now for that mountain, which is famously known as the Mount of Light, Jabal al-Nur, is not actually the name of the mountain, classically anyway. Now it's become famous amongst the people. But Hira is the name of the area. It is the name of the, of the, of the mountain itself is called Hira. And so the name of the cave is not Hira, it's just a cave in a mountain. Right, in the time of the Prophet they never used to name caves, which makes sense because 
the companions and the time of the Prophet, they don't name caves, right? Even now, we don't really name name caves in that way. And so it's something which which in the time of the Prophet, it's not the name of the cave, it is the name of the mountain. So the name of the mountain is Hira, but it's called the cave of Hira because it's in the mountain. But that's something which uh, I thought was a important point because it is often said it is the Mount of Light and then the cave of Hira, right? But that's not the classical way in which those names were used. Anyway, the Prophet ﷺ would go to the cave of Hira and he would stay there worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the manner that he knew at that time. And he would stay there for a number of nights successively. And he would come and only go back home to Khadija radiallahu anha and to his home when he ran out of provisions. So he would take with him food and water. He would climb up to the cave and he would spend a number of nights there in seclusion worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is before prophethood comes to him, before Quran is revealed to him. And then after his provisions come light or they begin to run out, he goes back home, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then again he goes back to the cave and he does this for a number of times until eventually Jibreel alayhi salam on one occasion came to him and he said to him, Iqra, read. So the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, ma ana biqari. I am not someone who can read. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was taken by, by Jibreel alayhi salam and he was squeezed. He says, until I felt all my energy being sapped from me, meaning until he squeezed me tightly. And then he let me go and he said to me, read. And I said, Ma I am not a reader. And so he again, a second time, squeezed me. And then he let me go and he said, read. And I said, I am not a qari, I cannot read. And so again, he was squeezed. And then he let me go and he said, Iqra bismi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq. Iqra wa rabbuka al-akram, bil-qalam, al-insana ma lam ya'lam. Read in the name of your Lord who created. He created you from a clot, read. And your Lord is the most generous, the one who taught by the pen. He taught man that which they did not know. Right? And that's why we said that it seems that these were only the five verses that are mentioned uh, that were revealed to the Prophet ﷺ in this incident. Otherwise, Aisha radiallahu anha would have said until the end of the surah, right? or until such and such a verse. She only mentions these five verses. So the Prophet ﷺ left the cave and he was shaking, trembling. Until he came to Khadija radiallahu anha and he said to her, Zammiluni, Zammiluni, means cover me, cover me. Right? And that's where you have, uh, and in the other narration, Dathiruni, Dathiruni. Uh, and, 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 and that's where you have, Ya ayyuhal muzammil, Ya ayyuhal muddathir, which comes later on in terms of revelation. So she covered him, radiallahu anha, until he calmed down and his fear left him. And then he said to Khadija, O Khadija, I fear for myself. So he told her what took place. So Khadija radiallahu anha replied and she said, No, by Allah, Allah will never forsake you. For indeed, you join the ties of kinship and you are truthful in your speech and you help the needy and you look after the guest and you help stand up for the truth. So then Khadija radiallahu anha took her and she went to her cousin Waraka ibn Nawfal. Waraka ibn Nawfal, Aisha says, was the first cousin of Khadija radiallahu anha. And as we know, Khadija is older than the Prophet ﷺ in age, according to many of the scholars. And Waraqa ibn Nawfal, the cousin of Khadija radiallahu anha, is a man who accepted Christianity in the time of Jahiliyyah, in the time of pre-Islam. And he would write in Arabic. He was someone who could read and he would translate the, the gospel into, into the Arabic language as well. And he was an old man by this time, blind. So Khadija radiallahu anha said to her, O son of my uncle, Listen to your nephew, meaning 
the Prophet ﷺ because he is much younger than him in age. Listen to your nephew and what he has to say. So Waraka said to him, Oh my nephew, what did you see? So the Prophet ﷺ informed him. And this shows you, subhanAllah, Khadija radiallahu anha, how perceptive she was from all of the people of Quraysh that she could have gone to. Right? There's people who are leaders and chiefs and tribal people, Abu Jahl, Abu Lahab, people that are closer to the Prophet in terms of family, Abu Talib, so many people she could have gone to. But she understood that what the Prophet is speaking about is not something which these people understand. She needed a person of knowledge, a person of learning, a person who had read, a person who understood scripture of that time. And so she chose for him Waraka. Waraka asked him, Oh my nephew, what did you see? The Prophet told him, This is what happened with me. So Waraka said, Indeed, this is the same angel that came to Musa. This is the same angel that was sent to Musa. If only I was younger and if only I had more strength, then I would stand up for you and I would help you, especially when your people expel you. The Prophet said to him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Awa Mukhrijiyahum, will they exile me, expel me from my own city? Waraka said, Yes, for no one came with something which you came with, except that they were harmed. And if I were to see that day, I was to live to that day, then I would help you in a great way, meaning that I would stand by you and I would help you. Aisha radiallahu anha says, But very little time passed by, except that Waraka passed away. Waraka passed away, and then knowledge ceased, meaning the, the revelation rather ceased and the Prophet ﷺ became upset. Right, so this is an amazing narration. If you look at this, subhanAllah, the way Aisha radiallahu anha goes through this, how we see from not only revelation, but even before revelation, how the Prophet ﷺ is getting to that stage now where he doesn't like the practices of Quraysh, he's becoming more and more secluded in worship, he's becoming more and more distant from the people of Quraysh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses that time to send and reveal to him the Qur'an. And as we know, that revelation of the Qur'an would have been the night of Laylatul Qadr, when Jibreel came to him on that first occasion in the mountain of Hira. And then the Prophet goes back to his family, and Khadija consoles him, and she advises him, and she has the, the, the wherewithal of taking him to his, her cousin Waraka ibn Nawfal. And Waraka is a man who's learned, who understands. And so when he hears the story of the Prophet ﷺ, he immediately recognizes that this is Jibreel ﷺ. This is the same angel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Musa ﷺ. And some of the scholars said, he's a Christian. Why doesn't he mention Isa? Jibreel ﷺ came to Isa ﷺ as well. So why doesn't he say this is the same angel that came to Isa? Why does he pinpoint Musa? And this this is one of the... Um, one of the, the signs, or if you like, one of the indications for this ummah that the parallels between us and the people of Musa السلام, and the parallels between our Prophet وسلم, and the parallels between Musa السلام, would be far greater than us and the Christians or us and Isa in terms of the challenges, in terms of the difficulties both by the, that would be faced by the Prophets but also by the nations as well. And so he chooses very aptly the name of Musa and also because Isa is an extension of Musa in terms of the Injil, the Gospel comes as an extension of the Torah whereas the Torah is the first right? and so right likewise the Prophet comes and he brings something new which is the Quran and this is something interesting if you actually look which is a, a tangent, it's a side point but if you were to look through for example the parallels between our religion and between 
or, or between uh, the Prophet ﷺ and Musa السلام, and between our Ummah and the Bani Israel of the time of Musa السلام, you will find this mention throughout the Quran. And how often does the Prophet ﷺ refer to Musa السلام, within the Torah or within the Sunnah? Right? How many times on, on, on so many occasions is it that the Prophet ﷺ is referencing Musa السلام, and he is referenced in those occasions and on those times more than even Ibrahim السلام, even though he is the forefather of our Prophet he is referenced more than Isa السلام, even though we know in the authentic hadith that Isa السلام, is the Prophet who came just before our Prophet so chronologically speaking he is closer to the Prophet but it rather it is Musa who is always, always being referenced, right? Whether it's the hadith of the Isra Mi'raj and the prayer, and it's Musa who's stopping the Prophet because the Prophet meets Ibrahim on that journey, he meets Isa, he meets Adam, he meets Nuh, he meets a number of prophets. But it is Musa who stops him and tells him, Go back, ask Allah for concession, go back, ask Allah for a concession. It is Musa even in the in the um in other hadith, authentic hadith, when the Prophet وسلم, is saying, don't say that I am, or don't give me superiority over Musa, for everyone will be unconscious on the day of judgment, and I will be the first one to awaken, and I will see Musa السلام, awake before me, holding on to the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I don't know if he also fell unconscious, or if Allah sufficed him because of him falling unconscious on the mountain of At-Tur. Right? Or oh, you have the example of, of um <clears throat> of of Musa السلام, being mentioned in in the story of the nations when the Prophet وسلم, sees a vast nation in the dream that he saw with Jibreel السلام, and he says to Jibreel, Who is this? And he says, This is the nation of Musa, right? These are the people of Musa. السلام. You see you see it so many times throughout the Sunnah, so many examples that you will find the Prophet وسلم, mentioning uh, Musa السلام, or mentioning Bani Israel in that way and so on. And that is why it is the most common surah, a uh, common story mentioned in the Quran. Right? The most common, common story of the prophets mentioned in the Quran and the name of the prophet or the story of the prophet that is mentioned most common in the Quran is none other than Musa alayhi salatu wassalam. So that's the story of revelation, right? the story behind the revelation of this surah. Um, I have a, a, a research question for you as well. So for those of you that want to look at Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullah and he's looking his look at Siyar uh, for the for the biography of Abdullah ibn Mubarak rahimahullah ta'ala, that would be something nice to do and, and you, you can do that. Um, but the question that I had for you uh, that I wanted you to research and get back to me on for next week is referring to what Aisha radiallahu anha mentions in this narration specifically. And that is that she pinpoints the first revelation of the Quran being Surah Al-Alaq. So the question is, uh, you know, of two or three facets. Number one, is this an issue that is mujma'un alayh? Is this something which is by consensus that the beginning, the first part of the Qur'an or the first Qur'an to be revealed was Surah Al-Alaq, the opening passage of Surah Al-Alaq, is that by consensus amongst the scholars of Islam or is there a difference of opinion? That's the first part. The second part then, which is obviously based upon the answer to the first part, is that if there is a difference of opinion, what is the difference of opinion? So if someone said that Surah Alaq isn't the first part of the Qur'an to be revealed, what did they say instead? What did they say? What, what, is, what surah or what verses did they say instead? And then part number three to that is, if there is a difference of opinion, is there any way that we can reconcile 
is there any way that we can reconcile between those views to see if there is actually not a difference of opinion in reality it is more a difference in wording or a difference in context or or what have you and so there are three parts to this number one is is this an issue of agreement that the beginning of the quran or the quran began with the revelation of surah al-alaq these first five surah verses that we've mentioned is that by consensus by ijma' or is there a difference of opinion part two is that if there is a difference of opinion obviously if there's no difference of opinion we're done right it's done and dusted there's no need to go any further if there is a difference of opinion however what is the difference of opinion what are the positions do we have amongst the scholars of tafsir what did they say was the first revelation of the quran if it was not surah al-alaq and then part three to that is that if that is the case then how how if uh, how do we reconcile if we can reconcile is there a way to reconcile between them those are the questions that I have and I hope someone has made a note of that inshallah ta'ala to post onto uh, the telegram group and, and going back to um, the question that we had of matla' and matli' uh, we'll leave that here because I didn't really see anyone uh, post uh, an answer to that that I can see and if that's the case then inshallah ta'ala we'll leave that till next week as well um, and, and we'll, we'll come back to that next week as well to give you a bit more time so what is the difference so we have there are possibly three things to look into. Number one is CR, which is really something which you have to do on the group. It's just a nice benefit, uh, or maybe you just want to look at the, that yourself. Uh, but the two that I want us to concentrate on is number one, in the end of Surah Al-Qadr, the difference in meaning between Matla'il Fajr and Matli'il Fajr, with the Fatha and the Lam, or a Kasra and the Lam. Number two is the one that I just mentioned to you now concerning what is the first revelation of the Quran. Because in the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha, it is very clear in Sahih Bukhari that she refers to Surah Al-Alaq as being that first revelation. Therefore, is this an issue of consensus? If not, what is the difference of opinion? And if there is a difference of opinion, how, if at all, can that be reconciled? And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, any questions? Uh, I don't, uh, and this verse, and this surah, uh, just to conclude, because I want to, uh, if there's any questions, we'll take them. I don't think there's much point going into uh, the first verse because we don't have much time left. And it is a long verse because there is a great deal to speak about this uh, in terms of the benefits of this verse. And, and because it is a momentous verse, right? It is the verse that begins our religion. Right? And one of the things that we will speak about is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began our religion. Right? And that's something which we should, uh, number one, pay attention to. But number two, also take a great deal of of pride from as well that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us what to focus on and if you're one of those people who then focuses on what Allah Azza wa deems to be important for us then that's something which is important right? and one of the things that we will come across next week uh, in one of the uh, opinions that is mentioned uh, I think it's the statement of Ibn Kathir or we will come on to it anyway or others is look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, at the beginning in, in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah Allah Azza wa tells us what it was that allowed the angels to understand in the time of the creation of Adam salam. How did the angels realize that Adam salam had been given superiority over them? So when Allah created Adam salam, and the angels said, you don't need to, oh Allah why are you creating them when we are here worshipping you? Like we worship you, we praise you, we glorify you. What need do you have for this new creation when we worship you? And Allah said to them, you don't know what I know. Right? 
how did the angels come to understand why they were made to prostrate before Adam السلام, out of respect and reverence? How did they understand that? What is it that Adam السلام, was given for them to be able to understand that Allah had favored him in ways that they were not favored? It was through knowledge. Allah taught him all names. Then Allah asked and presented those same things to the angels and asked them, and Allah said, inform me of the names of these things in kuntum sadiqeen, if you are truthful. Qalu, subhanak. They said, glory be to you. La ilma lana illa ma'allamtana. We only have knowledge, that which you gave to us. Innaka antal alimul hakim. You are all knowing, all wise. Qala ya adamu anbi'ahum bi asma'ihim. O Adam, inform them of their names. Falamma anbi'ahum bi asma'ihim. And when you inform them of their names, Qala alam aqul lakum. Allah said to them, did I tell you? إني أعلم غيب السماوات والأرض I know the unseen of the heavens and the earth وعلم ما تبدون وما كنتم تكتمون and I know that which you conceal and that which you make apparent and then it is after this that Allah says and when we commanded the angels to prostrate before Adam they prostrated except Iblis so Ibn Kathir I think it is or one of the other scholars of Tafsir we will come on to inshallah next week says look at how Allah Azzawajal shows to us how Adam السلام, was given that, that position above the angels through knowledge that Allah Azza bestowed upon him and taught him. And then when Allah Azza begins this religion, Allah Azza tells us in the first command to seek knowledge and to learn and to educate ourselves. And that is in and of itself something which is uh, pretty profound. But inshallah ta'ala we will come on to that next week in more detail. Uh, Ashfaq is asking, what is the difference between Adra and Yadri? Adraka and Yudrika, right? And uh, I don't know if this is, uh, if you mean just generally in terms of what we mentioned, uh, and I can see Zahara asked the same question. So what we mentioned before is the statement of Sufyan ibn Uyina is attributed to him, that in terms of the Quran, Adraka is when Allah Azza wa will give you the answer, Yudrika is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask the question, but he doesn't refer to it. In terms of the English translation, that's what I wanted us to look into also. I don't think we reached a conclusion for that. Um, but it's something which I think uh, which which would be interesting to look at, and I don't necessarily have the answer to that either. You know, I benefit from these questions as much as you do as well. I benefit as well in terms of looking at, especially in the English language, how we look at uh, translating this and and then uh, being able to define the differences between them. And so, if someone can also do that for me as well, um, inshallah ta'ala And what I will actually do is I will make a note of this. So then inshallah, because we have like two or three things outstanding and therefore we can inshallah ta'ala by next week inshallah have uh, an understanding of or at least some kind of conclusion to some of these outstanding topics. Okay, any other questions? Okay, if there's no other questions, then inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude for today's lesson. Jazakumullah khair for attending, and inshallah ta'ala, I will see you all next week. And I hope that Allah Azza wa Jal is keeping you all safe and healthy, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes our affairs easy for us, and that He showers His mercy and blessings upon us, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always uh, grants us that which is best for us in this life and the next. Barakallahu feekum, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.